Hello, morning everyone. Morning. morning. You're right. Yes, all alive. Kick in, breathing. Yes. Yes, Nick. We're here. We're alive. God is good. Fabulous. Well, for those of you that haven't met me before, don't know, know, don't know me. I'm Nick, and I'm the pastor here together with my husband Chris, who was on keys this morning. And I know he's my husband, but didn't he sing that song so beautifully? I thought so. It's such a beautiful song, and it's yeah, little round of applause. There's something, there's something that happens when we engage with a song beyond singing a song that we know or the words that we know. There's something that changes when we actually let a song like that sink in rather than sometimes when we know a song or it's familiar or even just sometimes when there's words on a screen, it just becomes something we see or we sing. But actually, I think there's something so precious in those moments to be able to sometimes just let a song hit us rather than us kind of be a part of that. So I thought that was a lovely, lovely thing. So this morning, I'm going to be talking to you all about enjoying God and what that looks like and why enjoying God is so important and how we can find a greater freedom to enjoy God um, and have a better relationship knowing him as a dad with us as his child. So I'm going to quickly recap last week. Chris spoke all about, uh, it was Adoption Sunday last week, and Chris spoke all about a passage in the Bible in the book of Romans, which is a letter written to the church in Rome. And he talked all about the concept of being adopted into God's family, and actually what what God is like as a dad and how so often we have this wrong idea of what God is like as a dad, but when we really grasp it, it's totally transformational. And so I would really recommend you listen to the podcast. Um, I am just going to quickly read the passage he spoke from, from the Passion Translation, which if you have a Bible is in Romans 8. Uh, If not, I have put it up here for you so that you can have a look as I read. It says, the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into a fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you or adopting you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we're joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. There's so much in there. Listen to the podcast to get the whole of what's in there. Well, you won't even get the whole of it. You'll just get a little chunk of it. But a couple of things just to recap that Chris said last week. One is when it talks about that line, beloved father, the word that's used in the Bible is a very colloquial, familiar term for dad. It's daddy, papa, It's not some kind of formal dictator dad, authoritarian dad, who you have to stand up tall and straight and say, hello, father. It's a really familiar, affectionate term. It's papa, it's daddy. It's something that comes from here. That's the kind of dad we have, the kind of access we have to him. The other thing he talked about is the fact that because of that God sent Jesus, 
We don't need to measure up anymore. We don't have this crazy list of standards we have to try and measure up to to be good enough. It's a bit like the old way before Jesus came was like this massive test paper of 100 questions. And there's no way we could ever pass them. We'd probably fail by the time we got to question three or four. And then what God did is he sent Jesus. Jesus sits the exam, gets every single question right, and then he writes our name at the top of the sheet. And he hands it in. He did it. He passed the whole thing. And then he wrote our name on the top of the sheet. And it's like, that's my son. That's my daughter. They don't ever have to worry about measuring up or getting the right answers anymore. They just get to be my kids. And I think that is something that so often we think we have to perform to earn God's love as a dad. And he's saying, I've done it all already. You don't have to perform. You are already more than enough. One of the other things that he spoke about was this idea of sharing in God's sufferings. And what that means in this context is that when you understand what it is like to be a child to a dad like that, you feel the dad's pain when he looks at his kids and he sees that they're far from him. Or he sees that their lives are broken and busted up and bad things are happening to them. And so just in the same way that if you saw your child going through that, you would hurt. It, you would have that sense of suffering like, this is not okay. That's what it means to share in God's suffering because he sees his kids and he's desperate to connect with them and to let them know just how much he loves them and how totally unconditional that love is for them. So with all that in mind, what I want to do today is pull the magnifying glass, if you like, over, well, what difference should that make in our lives? If we know that's how good God is, and we know he's a dad like that, and he thinks that we're his kids like that, what difference should that make to us? And the bit I want to talk about today is it means that we get to enjoy God. When we see him right, it means that we just get to enjoy him more. And I am definitely learning a lesson that as I'm enjoying God more, I'm just seeing his fingerprints in my life all over the place in ways that I've never seen before. I've just been missing him. But it's because I'm enjoying him more, I'm starting to see him at work in my life in all sorts of ways. And it is such a joy to me. So... Why is it important to enjoy God? Well, something I've definitely been reflecting on is if I looked at the relationships in my life, the friendships I've got, my family relationships, my siblings, my relationships with my kids, with my parents, if I look at those, I realize the best relationships, the ones I get the most from, are the ones where there is a mutual enjoyment. I enjoy that person and they enjoy me back. They are the relationships you just get so much from because you get the freedom to be yourself. When you know someone loves you and enjoys you, then you can turn up and be you with all your quirks, with all your crazy. You can turn up with everything about you that you might think to a stranger, I won't let them see that bit. But when you show up in a room with someone who enjoys you, you know that you can take the filters off. And you just get to be yourself because you know they enjoy you for who you are and you know that you enjoy them. And that means you can bring your crazy with you and they will love it. And in fact, they probably love you for it. It's probably one of the things they love the most. And it's the same with God. If we can accept that he enjoys us, then it means that we can find such a greater enjoyment in him. And that is such a lesson that I am learning is that if we want to enjoy God... We have to be willing to be enjoyed by him first. If you want to turn up to God like this, 
kind of, sorry, sorry about that, God. Like, had a bit of a bad day. I'm sorry I did that. Sorry I said that. Knowing he just enjoys you, he just enjoys you, means you can come into his presence with a freedom that you can't have if you think he's disappointed with you all the time and he's cross with you and he's angry with you. That's just not how he feels about you at all. You know, sometimes we hear the phrase banded around, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And you can connect with that. It's like, well, yeah, he made me, so he like, has to love me. Sometimes I think we can get our head into this place of thinking, God has to love me. He doesn't have a choice because he's God. And therefore, because he's God, he like, made us, and then he has to love us because that's the deal. That's part of the package deal. I've got some amazing news to tell you today. He does love you, but he also really enjoys you. He really enjoys spending time with you. When you wake up and you open your eyes in the morning, he's so chuffed you're up because he just enjoys being with you. He's got that sense of, that's my girl, that's my boy. And he just so loves to be with us and spend time with us. And I think so often we just get this muddled up with performance. It's our behavior and our performance that means that he enjoys us. So therefore, when I'm being good, when I'm doing the right things, saying the right things, not messing up, he enjoys me. But the minute I start doing something wrong, he doesn't enjoy me so much anymore. That's just not how it works at all. And I found a lovely quote from a guy called John Piper, who has written a lot about this. He says, the heart is not an organ of performance, but rather one of preference. The heart is not something which is about, I perform and then you love me. It's about preferring someone. God loves you because he has a preference for you. You're his favorite. That's how he feels about you. It's not because of your performance. It's a choice that you just say, I'm preferring you, God, because I know what you think of me as your child. That's much harder to get our heads around sometimes than the idea that God loves us. But another example of that in the Bible is found in Isaiah, where it says this, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. If you've ever been to a wedding and you've watched a bride and groom stand together, well, it should be like this, you should see an enjoyment. You should see a sense of enjoyment in each other at that moment. You've not got two people stood at the altar saying, I've decided to love you for the rest of my life. The end. Or, I have to love you for the rest of my life. Or even, I'm choosing to love you for the rest of my life. It's not that. There's a sense of enjoying each other. When you get married, a bridegroom looks at his bride and it's like, wow, isn't she amazing? Isn't she beautiful? Isn't she great fun to be around? I can't think of anyone else I'd want to spend the rest of my life with. That's how he feels about you. That's how God feels about you. He looks at you and he says, I can't think of anyone else I'd want to spend the rest of my life with. There is such a joy that he takes in you and it's not about how much you're measuring up or not measuring up. I had uh, someone come to me a couple of weeks ago now at the end of a service, and they said, can I just borrow you for a second? I was like, sure. And they said, I've, I'm just really, really confused. I keep having these moments where I'm really experiencing God's presence. It's like I can feel him with me. It's like a beautiful, special moment. And I'm so confused. And I was like, okay. Why are you confused? And this person said, because I can't work out what he's trying to say. And I thought, like, okay. 
And they said, I'm, I just keep feeling him. And I'm like, what are you trying to say? And I can't work it out. And I intuitively knew that God wasn't trying to say anything. God was just enjoying that person. He was just, his presence was there, not because he needed to give that person a to-do list or to be able to answer a question, but just because he was just enjoying them in that moment. And interestingly, that person was here in the first service and they came up to me at the end and they said, I've worked it out. And I was like, okay. And they said, he just wanted to comfort me. This person would be going through a horrendous time over a long period. And they said, I worked it out. He just was comforting me. That is one of the way that God's enjoyment in us manifests. That when he sees us heartbroken, he comes and enjoys our presence because he just comes and comforts us in the moments we need it most. So I'm just going to jump onto the next bit, picking up um, in the book of Romans where Chris left off last time. And I'm going to think about how this connects to enjoying God and being enjoyed. It says the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. For he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. There's so many things to pick out of there, but I'm just going to try and highlight a couple. The first is here, and it's the same thing about performance again. I don't know about you, but when I'm faced with a situation which is particularly tough or you learn of a tragedy in someone's life or something that is just so painful, I sometimes don't know what to say. I know this is a rare thing for those of you that know me. I often know what to say or I'd say things all the time. I can't stop talking. But there are times where I just don't know what to say. There might be a phone call or a conversation where someone shares something so deeply vulnerable for them, and I go to God and I think, I don't know what to say. Words aren't going to cut it here. And in the past, what's happened is, when I've not known what to say to God, I've stayed away. And I've stayed away to myself and I thought, I'll work this all out. And once I've worked out what to say, I'll then go to God and I'll say that thing. What I'm learning is that God's inviting me when I don't know what to say. And he's just saying, come be with me anyway. Come and enjoy me. Come and hang out with me when you don't know what to say. You don't know what to pray. You don't know what to do. Just come and be with me. Not because I'm going to give you the answers or tell you, but just because I want to be with you in that moment. We've got two little girls, and if one of them had witnessed or been told something really terrible and they didn't know what to say or do, 
I wouldn't want them to be wrestling that out in their bedroom on their own. I'd want them to come and say, Mommy, I don't know what to do. And I probably wouldn't have the answer, but what I would do in that moment is hold them. That's what he's like. He is not a stick-wielding dictator. He is not some authority figure who's totally unapproachable. He enjoys you, and he enjoys being with you, whether you're happy or sad and everything in between. The next part where it says he is a searcher of the heart, he knows you fully, and then it goes on to say, and he calls you his holy ones. I don't know about you, but that's a really vulnerable place to be. When someone knows you fully, that means they know everything about you. That doesn't make me feel great, if I'm honest. The idea that someone would know everything about me makes me feel very exposed. (laughs) Like, oh my word, they know that horrible thought I had about that person the other day. They know that thing I said. They know that I lost it to the kids when they couldn't find a shoe. And they know this and they know that. And they know the big things. They're the little things. But oh man, they know the big things. There's stuff in my life I don't think I would ever want anyone to know about. But you know, he knows me fully and he calls me his holy one anyway. That is quite staggering. To know someone with everything about them and to call them yours. And holy one means set apart. Holy is set apart. And as I said earlier, for me, my better translation, the translator people can call me up if they need my help, uh, is I think it's like his favourite. He knows me fully, and he says I'm his favourite. That's mental, right? That you would know everything, and that you would still say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. I just love you. And then it goes on to use the language, so we are convinced that God is working for good in our lives. That's a game changer. When we actually work out and become convinced of how God feels about us. It changes everything. There are so many times that I will respond or behave in a particular way that I'm not proud of, or I'll have a moment and I will feel something or say something or behave in a way, and I realize that the triggers to those things are very often fear and anxiety for me. They're the ones for me. So sometimes I'll snap, or I'll say something, or I'll bite at someone. And often that's because I'm afraid or I'm anxious. It's actually probably not a lot to do with the situation that's going on. It's because of what's going on in the inside of me that I'll respond a certain way. But when you are convinced that God has your back, he's your dad, he calls you son, he calls you daughter, and you have nothing to be fearful of and nothing to be anxious about because he's got you, your behavior changes. Because suddenly you're not relying on everyone else to make you feel good about yourself. If you're relying on your friends or your family to give you your validation, they are going to keep letting you down all the time. And they're not trying to let you down, they're just human. If you're relying on your friends to tell you how great you are, and then they tell you, actually, you just really upset me the other day when you did that, That has quite a crushing effect because the weight of responsibility you're giving to them to give you your validation is just falling at your feet and disappointing you. Great news, though, is that he is for you. He's totally for you. 
And so you don't need to worry about the validation of people anymore because you've got his approval. You've got the approval of the creator of the entire universe and he's standing with you. And that's exactly what it goes on to say next. The next verses say, so what does this all mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me then, who could ever stand against us? You have got the best bodyguard you could ever ask for with you at all the times. I mean, the BBC One bodyguard was pretty awesome, but God, like, that guy had nothing on God. You can walk into any situation knowing he's got you, he's for you. And I think what happens is we lose sight of this, and so we go and search for our approval for other places. And the other thing that happens is we numb our sense of being unfulfilled, because God's made a God-shaped hole in us that needs filling, right? And if we don't connect with him to get that from him as a dad, we'll go find it somewhere else. And we live in a world where we'll find it in sex, we'll find it in alcohol, we'll find it in Netflix box sets where you just binge watch stuff because it just numbs you. You'll find it in so many other ways. In drugs, you'll find it in unhealthy relationships. Because you've got this desire for pleasure and fulfillment written into you. And if you're not connecting with him to get it fulfilled, you're going to have this longing to get it fulfilled somewhere else. And I see that in my own life. I see that sometimes, rather than going to him to get it fulfilled, I just numb and just go somewhere else. And it never works. It never works. And I found this awesome quote from a guy who's written about this issue. And he says this, God's creative design was that your ravenous appetite for pleasure find fulfillment in him. For nothing more wonderfully reveals his glory than the joy the creature has in its creator. See, it's not that we need to stop ourselves desiring pleasure. We just need to direct it in a different direction. I've grown up in church and I think I've got this misconception that pleasure is bad. Like, if, you, if you're enjoying it too much, it's probably wrong. <laughs> you know, that, that idea that if it feels too good, it feels too good, it's probably not God. You know, how sad is that? So sad. And yet, this is a little bit of the baggage that I've grown up under. If, it's, if I'm enjoying it too much, it's probably not godly. But you know what? Rather than dial down pleasure, we need to be ramping it up. We need to absolutely ramp up that desire for pleasure and then direct it at the creator of the universe who says, that's my girl, that's my boy. And then we don't need to worry about the numbing stuff. One of the things that is so obvious if you've ever struggled with addiction or if you've ever worked with people who've had addictions is saying to someone, stop it, is the most unhelpful and ridiculous thing to say because it makes no difference. If you have someone that is wrestling with addiction and you just tell them, stop doing it, no one's going to stop doing it because you've told them to stop doing it. It's because there's something on the inside of them that's craving fulfillment. So therefore, rather than saying, stop it, what, what can we do instead? Let's direct that into a relationship with a God who says, you are enough as you are. I want to give you that pleasure and fulfillment that is better than any high you have ever had in your life. That's the kind of dad he is. He is such a good dad. And I feel like this morning, as we were worshipping, I was just stood over at the side, 
And I felt this morning that there is at least one man here this morning who needs to hear the words, that's my son, that's my boy. And that actually, it's not about, it, there were the words of the song where Chris said that your love is proud to be seen with me. And I feel like there is at least one guy here this morning who actually, you don't feel God is proud to be seen with you as your dad. You, you just don't feel you've earned that. And he wants to shout from the rooftops this morning, that's my boy. And you don't have to do anything to earn it. It's just already the case. So I would encourage you, as you go about your week this week, this month, this year, when you start to feel that desire to numb kick in, that lack of satisfaction, so you just want to fill it with something else, just have a try at being really honest and saying, God, it might even start with this, God, if you're there, that's totally fine. God, if you're there, show me what you think of me. I want to feel you. I want to know you. I want to be changed by you. It's a great place to start. The worst that would happen is that you won't feel anything, but I dare you to try it because it might totally change everything. So just be aware about the times where actually God is asking you to redirect some of your desire and your longing and put it at his feet instead because he's so proud to be seen with you and he just wants to get to know you better and as he does, you'll get to know him and I think your life will totally change. So let's stand and I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you that your love for us goes beyond anything we can comprehend or imagine. That where there is stuff that gets in the way of us getting to you, I thank you that there is nothing too big to stop you from reaching us. Help us to take those first steps to be able to get to you. And if, um, if everyone could just close their eyes, it helps this make this next moment just a safer moment. If you um, are that man, or maybe there's more than one, who just needs to hear God saying, that's my boy, I would love if you would feel brave enough. People have got their eyes shut to be able to just raise your hand. Um, because I would love to stand with you and pray that you would know that. Thank you, Father. God, I thank you that you look, at, you look at that man and you say, that's my boy. And you are so proud, so proud. And right now, for everyone stood here, we just ask you to take the stuff, the shame, the stuff we carry that is of performance and to hand it over to you, knowing that your hands are big enough to take it and that you just want to throw it to one side so that you can just enfold us in your embrace. And I would encourage you this morning to just take this moment now to ask God a question and hear what he says. If you've never heard from God before, 
just listen to the first thought in your mind that comes and don't talk yourself out of it. Ask God the question, what stops me enjoying you? And then just listen. Whatever that thing is that you just felt stops you enjoying God, he wants to take that away. He wants to take it away right now. Because he wants to get to you. Not because he's got stuff for you like a to-do list or a set of instructions or a set of corrections. But because he just wants to get to you. So now ask God one more question. God, what would you have me do about that? And just listen. Father, I ask that you would help each one of us this week and in the coming weeks get the obstacles out the way that stop us from enjoying you and really grasp hold of the understanding that you enjoy us first. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.